Welcome to The Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of The Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. Fred Barnes is going to try to make sense for us of a very strange week in which Donald Trump all of a sudden started making nice with Democrats. And then Jenna Liffitz is coming by to tell us about the soft power champion working in an administration that is unenthusiastic about soft power. All that coming up on the Confab. And now we welcome to the Confab the inimitable Fred Barnes. Fred, how are you doing? Um, I'm in... (laughs) <laughs> I'm still inimitable. <laughs> <laughs> so you in the new issue of the Weekly Standard, mm-hmm. uh, which people can access at weeklystandard.com if mm-hmm. they haven't already received their print copy of the magazine, mm-hmm. you quote Newt Gingrich saying that Trump, with Trump, the overall impression matters more than the details. Mm-hmm. And you quote that to explain the strange political turns Trump has made in the last week mm-hmm. or so. Mm-hmm. How, how so? Well, you know, all of a sudden he's negotiating with Democrats on compromises in which he gets practically nothing and they get something they want. Uh, uh, certainly uh, when they, when Trump agreed that he should support uh, a debt limit increase, it was only for about three months, but it was the Democratic plan, not the Republican one, uh, the Democrats got something they want. And and Trump basically got nothing, <laughs> but he he uh, uh, created an impression that it was important, and that is he's for uh, bipartisanship. He's for dealing with Democrats, whether they want to deal with him or not. Uh, and he and it uh, it's things like that, an impression rather than an actual achievement by him uh, that matter a lot. And he's very good at it, having spent all those years on TV. That's mm-hmm. really what has led to this idea that uh, Newt Gingrich, who is very, very persuasive in his book about about Trump called Understanding Trump, he understands him very well. But uh, the last time Trump was going about creating an impression, the impression he was creating was for the benefit of his base, mm-hmm. and it was hate me if you like to to the left. I don't yeah. give a damn. Yeah. That was that was the mm-hmm. impression that he cultivated mm-hmm. assiduously. Well, it's quite different when you when you actually are president, and while your party has a, a substantial lead in the House of Representatives, it's very close in the Senate, and uh, and there are times Trump has discovered where. Uh, maybe he can work with Democrats. Uh, I think there's very little he can work with Democrats on, but he doesn't need to achieve a law. For one of the things, you know, he surprised a lot of people, including me, uh, when he invited Nancy Pelosi, uh, the House Minority Leader, and Chuck Schumer, the Senate uh, Minority Leader, over to the White House for dinner, and and they discussed um, uh, dealing with the Dreamers, 800,000 Dreamers. You know, these are the young people whose parents brought them illegally in, uh, in, into the United States over the years. And Trump uh, would like to uh, either deport them or have Congress uh, pass a law making their residence here uh, legal. Uh, when he <laughs> announced that, uh, it got a very uh, strong negative reaction around the country. 
he was surprised. I was surprised uh, how negative it was. And, and Trump wanted to do something about it. So what has he done? He's talked to Democrats of reaching a compromise, an agreement on, on, uh, on keeping the, the other dreamers here. Even if they don't reach a compromise, uh, he will still have made this effort. Uh, he will have shown sympathy for the dreamers. Uh, it, 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 and it's a very uh, smart way for him, and I think he knows what he's doing. Uh, it, it's a smart way for him to soften his image, to uh, uh, appeal to uh, uh, voters he might not have appealed to, but especially to sort of wipe away a little of the opposition uh, based on his uh, first idea about, you know, kicking uh, the dreamers out of the country. But the opposition for Trump isn't just about one issue. Mm-hmm. There's a full-throated loathing mm-hmm. of Trump by the left. That uh, how how many deals would he need to make with Democratic leadership to ease a little bit of that hatred? You know, uh, the hatred on the part of the left. Uh, the left does not constitute a majority. It's the leading uh, uh, group in the Democratic Party, but it's not the only group. Uh, and I think he has little chance of, of really easing any of that opposition they feel. It's so strong, uh, which means that uh, Trump is not going to get a lot of Democratic votes in the campaign, but he can get—he doesn't need to get a lot. He needs to get a few. Um, when I say campaign, I'm talking about— uh, his running for re-election in, in 2020, uh, you know, it uh, you know, creating a better atmosphere for yourself, uh, creating a more favorable impression are things that you have to do a lot more than once. I don't think he's going to reach an agreement with Democrats on tax reform, mainly because Republicans uh, pretty much want to reduce taxes and Democrats just want to raise taxes. Uh, that doesn't leave much room for compromise. And yet uh, he's talked to Democrats about that. I mean, Trump must know the chances of, of an agreement there. Anything that the Democrats would agree to would be anathema to almost the entire Republican Party. Uh, so there are great limits here. But but Trump uh, really is pressing this idea of uh, of um, bipartisanship and that he's for it and he will deal for everybody. It's a very popular idea, uh, whether it's something that uh, it is the basis for somebody voting for one presidential candidate or another. I'm not sure. But, but Trump does a lot of this. I mean, he's such an unusual candidate and such an unusual president uh, that— it's hard to keep up with the things he's doing. This is why the book by uh, uh, Newt Gingrich is so good, because he he points to these things that Trump learned from television and so on. Uh, and and I, I can't think of another uh, president who was out there just trying to uh, create a favorable impression and not really seeking something more tangible than that. Can Trump continue to reach out to Democrats and keep his base happy, or at least keep his base from being dejected? It's very, very difficult when you come to any any aspect of immigration, uh, because that was the core issue of the Trump campaign. And not only was it a core issue, but related to it was this notion that Republican voters have that they keep 
voting for people who talk big on these crucial issues, but who then are either squishy or run to the left or don't do anything once they're actually in office. You mean you're talking about the Trump that we now see over the past few weeks? Could it be? It certainly strikes uh, a number of the strongest and and most prominent supporters of of Trump uh, who were saying things like that. People like Laura Ingram, uh, who has a, a talk radio show and is now going to be the anchor of the uh, 10 to 11 segment on weeknights on Fox uh, News. Uh, and Steve King, the, the, probably the most strident supporter of Trump during the campaign, who shares all the views expressed uh, about immigration expressed by Trump during the campaign. And he was thunderstruck uh, by Trump even talking about uh, the dreamers with Democrats. Uh, and and particularly, here's their, their big gripe, Eric, is that Trump didn't really ask for anything. Oh, he's going to get some stronger border measures, but not the one that he has asked for and all his support and, and millions of his supporters want, the wall. Although the, the president did tweet out that um, that the wall was being built in the sense that there was a renovation of some of the fencing going on. I somehow don't think that's what yeah. his voters thought no, thought he was talking no, about no, in the first the, instance. Uh, you know, uh, Trump uh, is just looking like a a much more normal president. One of the problems with being a normal president, uh, for Trump being one, he's a heck of a lot less interesting. What it seems to be Trump's strategy to deal with the disaffected conservatives, disaffected Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Republican voters is to blame Mitch McConnell and Paul (laughs) Ryan. How far is he going to get with that? Evildoers. Uh, You know, he's convinced, and Steve Bannon, uh, who worked for him and is now back running Breitbart News, have convinced, you know, millions of of Republicans that, uh, that... uh, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan oppose the entire Trump agenda, and they're blocking it from happening. They're slowing things down. They're they're really throwing uh, uh, impediments in the way of Trump. You know, it, it's complete nonsense. It's but, bizarro world. It is. Uh, McConnell it, it, and Ryan are the impediments <laughs> to the Republican agenda, exactly. but but Pelosi and Schumer are the path. Yeah. You know, it's just crazy, but uh, there's a lot of craziness uh, with the Trump presidency. But uh, And so many of these right-wing websites, for instance, have taken that up. You know, whenever anything doesn't work well uh, or at all, uh, then they then they then it can't be Trump's fault. Uh, it has to be the fault of McConnell or Ryan. You know, and some of the, and they're specialists in uh, in trashing them, like Steve Bannon and, and, and Breitbart. They they specialize in trashing Paul Ryan. Then they, when you come to Mitch McConnell, the guy who really trashes him relentlessly, you know, Hannity, for Hannity, uh, McConnell is the devil. Uh, for Steve Bannon, Paul Ryan is the is the devil. And, the, you know, these guys have very little uh, evidence to deal with. I mean, I've, I've followed both. Uh, both of these Republican leaders, and and while they're not perfect, and they're not like Lyndon Johnson in the Senate, you know, browbeating everybody and forcing them to vote his way. Uh, they uh, have success. fractious coalitions yeah. to keep together. Yeah, and they uh, and, and they do a, a 
a pretty good job in a different way. Trump has a, rather, uh, McConnell has a very, very narrow margin for error. You know, it's 52-48. And, uh, and people will say, well, gee, Harry Reid got Obamacare passed. Harry Reid had 60 votes. Uh, McConnell has only 52. But, of course, uh, Trump has blamed him for that loss when, when Trump had— uh, uh, the, the played a bigger part than McConnell did in losing that in the Senate, uh, and and Paul Ryan has these thirty uh, Freedom Caucus people to deal with, uh, which which uh, is very hard. I mean, these are Republicans, uh, but they do like to uh, make things hard. So exactly how alienated might Trump be from Republicans in the big picture? He couldn't go to the Democratic Party, which wouldn't have him. Mm -hmm. But is there room, as you suggest in your piece, for Trump to stake out some independent existence Mm -hmm. outside of the Republican Mm -hmm. Party? It'd be tricky, but uh, uh, if uh, he—Trump would have to be very careful in what he does. uh, uh, I mentioned in there there's one great achievement that Trump— uh, can claim if he's careful, and that is to fill uh, the federal courts at the Supreme Court level, appeals court level, district court level with conservatives. There are so many skilled, uh, uh, really knowledgeable and impressive uh, conservatives who are in state courts and law schools as professors and so on, and uh, who uh, to fill these vast number of vacancies in the federal judiciary. Uh, but you can't do it if you don't have a Senate in Republican hands. If you're an independent, you're you're just not going to uh, get much of anywhere there. The uh, and so uh, you know that would argue for uh, remaining a Republican. But in just terms of himself, of running himself and not worrying about the agenda or not worrying about having to deal with either party, uh, as an independent, I think he could actually win. He'd still get a substantial number of Republicans because they, it, it would be somewhere like 2016 that uh, uh, they would, uh, they're not going to vote for uh, the Democrat. Uh, and a lot would depend on the Republican nominee if Trump decided his to run as an independent. But uh, you know, never, uh, never bet against him. I mean, there's one thing we know he he does well. One is he had, he was had had his own idea about what the campaign looked like. Uh, he can he, he he had a great campaign, uh, and I th- I think he was only. A Republican who could have won. Uh, he's got a lot to learn about the presidency. Eight months uh, it is not an, a long enough training period. Fred Barnes, thanks for joining us on the Confab. All right. Always glad to be here. And now we're joined on the Confab by Jenna Liffitz, staff writer for the Weekly Standard. Jenna, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So you've got an article in the magazine this week in which you profile the guy in charge of soft power for the United States in an administration that isn't particularly interested in soft power. What is soft power? Soft power is uh, American influence abroad. It can be manifested in many forms. It can be something as simple as hearing 
Green Day on the radio when you're in France, or it can be uh, development programs by USAID where Mark Green is the administrator. Mark Green is someone who has uh, a lot of experience abroad, former ambassador to Tanzania, is it? Yes, under George W. Bush. And um, what has he been doing in that office? Has he been sitting behind his desk, twiddling his thumbs, wondering what he's up to in an administration not interested in his job? I don't think so. Um, I think Mark Green is a self-starter. I think he's incredibly excited to be in the position he's in. And he strikes me as someone who is going to if he meets resistance, he's going to fight back against it in order to get his goals of, you know, development, expanding development programs and all the rest accomplished. He seems a very practiced politician when you asked him about the administration and its lack of interest in uh, soft power. He said, oh, no, I've gotten all the all the support and, and backing I could possibly ask for. Right. And that was two weeks in. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I think he'd probably say the same a couple of weeks later, but he didn't seem too eager to talk about uh, the Trump administration's feelings on democracy promotion. I mean, as you said, he he seems he seems to be getting support from them, um, though it's obvious Trump has not been the biggest fan of spreading democracy overseas. It's been something that he has railed against for I mean, as long as I can remember, years, um, but especially before on the campaign trail and since coming into office, even as he's changed on other foreign policy positions. Now, democracy promotion is one part of soft power, as you were saying. It could mm-hmm. be anything from Green Day on the radio <laughs> to uh, sacks of uh, food in a disaster. Um, certainly, China has been getting very aggressive about its use of soft power. It hasn't been putting any democracy uh, requirements on it, but it's been very active in Africa building train networks, for example, things like, uh, uh, is, is there a sense in the Trump administration that in the U.S. competing with China um, that soft power may actually have a role? I think this is exactly something that gives Mark Green hope that the administration will come around on soft power because he raised things like examples where democracy promotion and other sorts of development programs help spread American influence and win support for from our allies, etc. I mean, he worked on uh, PEPFAR, uh, the President Bush's aid, AIDS program in Africa, and he said overnight he saw America become a recognizable force for good uh, in Africa. And everybody, I mean, when President Bush visited Tanzania, everybody recognized him and was was so excited. Um, so I think through through things, through these development programs, um, we can advance our national security and economic interests. And yet at the same time, there is frustration by average Americans when they will see um, countries that are the recipients of tremendous amounts of U.S. aid um, not being particularly friendly to the U.S. Yes, uh, that is, I think, also something that Green is aware of. I mean, one of the things he said that I actually, part of his development philosophy that I found sort of Trump, Trumpy, I don't know if that's a we can use that as an adjective, Trumpy. I like it, Trumpy. Um, <laughs> one part of his development philosophy that I found Trumpy was that he 
does not he sees development as a progression. So he says the result the end result of giving people aid should be they're not needing to have it anymore at some point. And it should not be seen as an entitlement to fish instead of giving him a fish. Right. It should not be an entitlement. We shouldn't be uh, I would I would assume that part of that would be we shouldn't be giving a lot of it to countries that are not using it well or hate or hate us. It's Mark Green's day. Get that green day. Oh, that it was good. <laughs> Jenna Lifitz, thanks for joining us on the Confab. Thanks for having me. That's it for the Confab this week. Be sure to tune in to the Confab every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.